morning, friends, guests, family members, parents, grandparents. Good to be with you on this Advent Sunday, this fourth Sunday of Advent. Merry Christmas. Children, let me be another to say great job. Wow. Awesome, awesome. Can, can, you, can you stand up one more time? Children, please stand up one more time. Stand up. Take a bow. Children, please stand up. Yes, do that. Raise your hands in the air. Please jump three times. Good work, good work. We got to expend a little more energy because this is an all-family service. Adults and children together. Boy, children, great job. Great job, Christina, Maddie, Benjamin, everyone that involved, all the musicians. Thank you for that. Normally, the children would be in our wonderful children's ministry, but they're with us here today. Um, As we are still in the season of Advent, we are still waiting for the big day to happen, Christmas Day. Last week, Sam mentioned to us that we have two weeks until Christmas, so this week we have one week until Christmas. Seems like we're counting down the days to get there. And we certainly occupy our time pretty, pretty well. I know how busy many of us in the room are. It's during this Advent season. We often like to do fun things and decorate our house and place things around our houses and so forth. Maybe you're like me. We like to put Christmassy things all around. Let me show you some of ours, and maybe you can raise your hand and tell us if, if you do the same. Here's a picture of our Christmas tree. Raise your hand if you have a Christmas tree in your house. Awesome, awesome. Wait, raise your, put two hands up if you have a real Christmas tree. See, now ours is fake. I just want to give you guys the proper respect that you deserve. Lord willing, one of these days we will have a real tree. All right, here's a picture of our Advent calendar. This one was handmade by Nikki's grandmother. Raise your hand if you have an Advent calendar. Advent calendars are fun. Typically, there's chocolate inside. We actually got a few of those at home as well. Nikki's grandmother's 96. She made that. Actually, she would have made that when she was about 86, but still pretty good. How about Christmas lights? Who has Christmas lights in the house? Now, that is not our house. It's difficult to find this kind of property up here in Rogers Park. All of us are making our sacrifice. But this is a house that we did visit last year. The lights are fun to look at. We have lights, just not like that. How about Christmas cookies? Christmas cookies? Yep. You know, Nikki, she makes great Christmas cookies. These, though, these are store-bought. If, <laughs> I tell you what, if they look good to you, just know that there are plenty of these and many other treats waiting for you outside. And cake balls. Perfect pre-lunch meal. So stick around, by the way. Stick around for that. It's going to be fun. Coffee's right around the corner, by the way. So you went out, go out there, you're looking for your coffee. It is there. And hot chocolate. All right, one last one. How about a manger scene? How about a manger? Who's got a manger scene in the house? All right, wow, good. Good, good, good. You know, I know, I know. It's like, you know, you're supposed to put up a manger scene and so forth. You know, I, I looked into it myself. There's a 
there's a prominent pastor out in Minneapolis that maybe some of us have heard of, and I kind of did some research. He's, he's got one up there. So, uh, you know, sometimes we don't want to have depictions of Jesus and so forth, but um, that's another story. Apologies for the digression here. Um, we like to put out this manger scene, and we can, we can talk about the historical accuracy of the manger scene, which, plain and simply, is a very, very good discussion. Normally, a lot of our manger scenes have three wise men. Those are shepherds there, but you know, if we turn to Matthew 2, you'd see that the three wise men, or maybe less or more than that, um, you know, would not have come to see Jesus until the weeks or, or months or even up to two years later. They would have been guided by a star, though, that we see in Matthew 2. Sometimes we have shepherds present. Actually, we should always have shepherds present because we learn from Scripture that an angel and a multitude of angels led the shepherds or told the shepherds to go to Bethlehem to find the baby King Jesus. And so you see shepherds there. You don't see angels here because we don't read that angels were present. We could probably assume that they were there, but they were with the shepherds that guided them to Bethlehem. We also see animals. It would be reasonable for animals to be in a manger scene, one, two, three, four, however many you want, really. Even though Scripture does not reference any animals nearby, we typically see animals. But why do we see animals nearby? It's because right in the center where we find baby Jesus, he is set in a manger. Sometimes, we, if you're like me, you need a reminder of what a manger is. A manger is not a, not, a, not a barn, not a stable, not even a cave. It is a feeding trough. And that is where the baby Jesus is. Now regardless of how accurate looking our manger scenes are, they do point to an enormously important historical event, an enormously important reality. They point to a prophecy fulfilled. They point to a message of great joy. They point to the beginning of a redemptive work for a weary world. They point to God delivering a savior. It is so common for us to take this scene and enjoy the familiarity of it and associate it with this time of year and only think of it one time a year. But the child born in Bethlehem doesn't dwell in our hearts one day a year. He dwells in it all 365. <clears throat> because in the major scene, in the feeding trough, we have God in the flesh. Now before we understand that further, we're going to look at another text in Isaiah. When I say another, we looked at one last week and the week prior. Here, today, we are turning to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Isaiah is found in the Old Testament, looking at chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. And it reads like this, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Let's pray. 
Father, we bless you again. Lord, we thank you so much that you have called us here today, gathered us to hear your word, to read more about the Christmas story, to understand the work that you are doing in and here and across the world. Father, we're so grateful that we got to see our children performing joyously. Boy, that's a grace. Lord, you are so kind and gracious to us, Lord. Would we come to you now again with open eyes and ears to hear what it is that you intend to communicate us yet again today and may that compel our hearts to worship you and have Jesus dwell richly in us. I pray that in Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, what's going on in the scene I just read? Isaiah was a prophet. God spoke to Isaiah, charged him to reveal prophecy to people and kings of Israel. And I thought long and hard about how we should look at the historical context of what we just read. There's a whole lot, of more, whole lot more verses that, that give that. And uh, it would be helpful to understanding what's going on. Children, I'm going to have to disappoint you. I'm not going to be able to go into all the historical, geopolitical dynamics of 735 B.C. with the northern kingdom of Israel allied with Syria and the southern kingdom, other known as Judah, allied with Tiglath-Pileser and the Assyrian Empire. There's just way too much to unpack there. There's a whole lot of other people in that equation. But what you need to know is that in this scene, Ahaz is a bad king of Israel, and Ahaz... And the people of Israel are in a situation where they need deliverance. By the way, here's a picture of the bad king Ahaz's seal. This was found in the mid-90s. It has Ahaz's name there and his father Jotham, who we also see in this chapter a few verses earlier. His name is in there as well. It's really neat when archaeology confirms the existence of biblical people. Thought you might like that. Ahaz, he was a bad king. Isaiah told him to rely on God because God had a solution for him. But Ahaz said, I don't want to listen. Nonetheless, nonetheless, Isaiah told God's message of deliverance to him anyways. And it goes something like this. I will give you a sign that I will deliver your nation out of trouble and the sign will be this. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, like I said, Ahaz, after hearing this, still did not listen to the Lord and didn't work out, that did not work out so well for him or the people of Israel. No faith in God, and so the result. We hear that prophecy the woman, the virgin, shall give birth to a son and his name will be Emmanuel. What was the first song that we sang today? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That song comes from this 8th century B.C. prophecy. By the way, that song is 1,200 years old, at least the first origins of it. The version that we just sang, 170 years old. It's really neat to sing some old Christmas songs. The Savior that God had promised, King Ahaz, did not want to place his faith in God But when we turn to the New Testament, we see that this prophecy was still the truth that God's people could have complete faith in to save them. And that's why when we turn to the New Testament, we turn to the Gospel of Matthew, we 
turn to chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, we read this. This is after Jesus' birth, right after it. We read, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Thank you for joining me in that. God with us. When the baby Jesus was born in a manger 2,000 years ago, the prophecy of salvation from the 8th century BC was fulfilled. The son was born, the son that was born was God with us, the gift of Christmas, the life of Jesus Christ. And you heard me say the word gift. And who here likes gifts? And children, do you like gifts? It's about this time in this children's service where I think you can receive a little gift, so why don't you come Come up to the front. Oh, yep, I know. For some reason, I always think they're going to come down here, and then they end up coming up there. Here. Now, these, these are not as nice as the gifts that you're going to get at Christmas. These are, you can get 40 of these for $3.25, but uh, please, 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 please take one. Take one. Take one. We've got enough to go around. Here you go. Everyone, everyone gets one. Merry Christmas. Yes, keep going. Here we go. Take not not. I need one for my brother. By the way, Maddie wanted me to mention that we do have a cry room with a streaming service in the nursery. If anyone is interested, so you still be able to hear what's going on upstage, on stage here. Okay, that's okay. Thank you. Please feel free to. Oh. And watch out for the, uh, the candle here. Go ahead, take some of these. Here you go. Maddie's not so happy with me right now. Go ahead, go ahead, take some. We give gifts during Christmas out of a response of generosity, generosity of the gift that we received. I shall apologize to Maddie later today. She keeps our children safe. Really, she does a great job with that, by the way. Now, for the rest of our time here, we're going to look at what this means, God with us. Emmanuel, and we're going to explore this in three questions. How is God with us? Why is God with us? Where is God with us? Okay? So let's look at the first one. How is God with us? Let's consider what we know to be true of God. God is in this room. How do we know that? Because God is everywhere. Children, I know you've got those candy canes, but maybe you could tell me just a few places where you know that God exists. If God is everywhere, where might we find God? What are some places you can think of? Indeed. Yep. Oh, I'm hearing some good answers. Right here. Right. Dylan? On the basketball court? That, that's a lovely answer, man. Good work. Baseball field? All right. We got some soccer field. A lot of sporting events God shows up at. Sometimes he doesn't show up for your team, but. <clears throat> All right, a lot of different places, right? 
Here's the thing. God is in the depths of the ocean. He's at the top of the mountains. If we were to take a drill and dig to the middle of a mountain, God would be right there. If we were to pull up a pile of dirt, rub it between our hands until it's dust, God would be right in the middle of all those specks of dust. God is everywhere. But God is not just with us because he's everywhere. He's also with us because he became human on Christmas Day. There was no space in the local inn in Bethlehem, so Mary and Joseph had to settle for a manger, and there the baby Jesus was born. That was God truly with us. With us in a way that God had never been with us before in history. As a helpless baby, probably lying on some hay, probably partially exposed to the elements, God who created heaven and earth, who's capable of shifting mountains and moving oceans, became a helpless baby in a place of poverty. Today, maybe there's something in the message that sticks with you or something during the service, whether it's the children's performance or whatnot, that convicts your heart. But there is also a theological truth I want you to know and remember about Jesus today, and it is this. Jesus was fully God and fully man, the incarnation. And I want you to know this. So much so that we are going to say this. I'm going to look at this side of the room. I'm going to say, Jesus is, and you are going to say, fully God. Then I'm going to say, and Jesus is, and you will say, fully man. Let's try this. Jesus is, and Jesus is, Jesus is, and Jesus is, Excellent. Jesus is fully God and fully man. If you can understand it, that will help you in your faith. That will help you understand what it is that God is doing and how he did it. It's one of those mysteries of God. It's extraordinarily difficult for us us to understand. In fact, about 400 years after Jesus' death, all the major theologians and pastors came together from across three different continents and simply affirmed that Jesus was fully God and fully man. It's very central to the Christian faith. Any deviation from that is problematic. When we begin to understand it, we gain a larger picture of who Jesus is. About 12, 13 years ago, I was serving in the children's ministry Uh, at the Saturday night service at Park Community Church's Near North location. And uh, every Sunday for three years, 5 p.m., I served in the Saturday night service teaching the elementary class. And this is going to be a shameless side note plug. I was serving there before I met Nikki when I was single. For you singles out there, don't believe that you have to devote your entire weekend toward finding your future spouse. Let God take care of that. And I say that because... We need some more younger people serving in the children's ministry and set up and tear down and the greet team and the worship band. If you have some giftings and talents, there is a place for you to serve. If you have any type of energy, there is a place for you to serve. Please come and see us after the service or maybe after the first of the year and see how it is that God can use you here at his beloved church. Okay, I digress about... 12, 13 years ago, I was teaching in the elementary, and we were talking about the baby Jesus, and a girl, eight or nine years old, she said, you know, Jesus, when he was born, he could talk. I'm like, 
Oh, well, you know, I, that's, I appreciate the thinking there. It's, it's good. But here's the thing. Jesus did not talk when he was one day old. And more or less, he was not able to talk either. Why? Because even though he was God in the flesh, he was fully man. And think about that for a second. God, who's capable of doing anything that he pleases, intentionally restricted himself to a helpless baby in order to reach us in a way that he had never reached us before. He was fully like us. Jesus knew what it was like to be a child just like us. Jesus knew what it was like to grow up just like us. Jesus knew what it was like to work just like us. Jesus knew how to eat and sleep just like us. Jesus knew how to suffer just like us. God the Father gave us God the Son, the precious newborn infant that needed just as much care and nourishment as we do. Jesus, who was entitled to all the kingdoms, all the riches, all the power that the world could possibly offer. Jesus, who existed before time. Jesus, who existed before Christmas, let alone, chose to come down to us and born himself into poverty. He wanted to know us up close. Up close. That's the incarnation. A God who truly knows us is also the God who is truly with us. And he even knows us better than we know ourselves. Did you hear that? He knows us better than we know ourselves. That might even be a tad scary to many of us. Which brings us to our second question. Why is God with us? I'll give us two reasons for today. One, because of our condition. After the message here, we're going to sing a song, and it'll contain the lyrics, The Weary World Rejoices. We live in a weary world. We live in a world that was put into disarray. Ever since Eve gave Adam the fruit and he ate it, this world has been in a constant spiral. The Bible goes into that, and everything has been distorted ever since. And it was Adam's fault, and it is also our fault as well. That's difficult for us to understand, but that is the truth. Jesus grew up to be a man. Then right when his ministry began, what happened? He was whisked away to the desert for 40 days with no food. And there, what happened there? He encountered temptation. Jesus, fully God, is not tempted. His divine nature is completely incapable of being tempted. But Jesus' human nature was capable of being tempted. And there, Jesus encountered temptation. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, all the various things that tempt us, all the things that we know we aren't supposed to do but feel like we want to do them, every single temptation that humans could possibly be tempted by, Jesus encountered in the desert. Jesus knows the kinds of things that tempt us. He knows that we, on occasion, want to fight with our brother and sister. He knows that we want to take things that don't belong to us. Because of the incarnation, Jesus knew us intimately. And he knew exactly how it is that we can mess up, you and I. But Jesus didn't give in to the temptation in the desert. He did not. Because even there, without food for 40 days, he still retained the largest heart for us. And that brings us to a second reason of why God is with us. Because God 
loves us. That's who he is. That is his character. So often when people don't come to follow Christ, it's simply because they don't know about God's character. They don't know who he is. Ask a neighbor, ask a coworker, ask a classmate about who God is. You might hear someone say, God is great. God is my everything, and there's nothing wrong with those statements. But it's very common to hear that from someone that perhaps hasn't been to a church in many years or hasn't opened their Bible in many years, and believe you me, that can be any one of us. I protect myself from that. That could be me. Ask them, do you think God could ever accept you because of this thing you did, which you know is really ugly and bad, and that person might say, well, boy, you bring up a good point. Yeah, I'm not really the type of person that God loves when, in fact, that couldn't be farther from the truth. God loves you completely. He made you. He's the one that draws near to us. He knows without him we are only capable of drifting away from him. It is by the grace of God and the love of God that we have any chance of being with God. And thankfully, he's the one who does all the work. And our response is repentance and faith. How do we know that God is working and drawing near us? Because his son was born in a manger to live a perfect life for us to go to the cross for us on our behalf. Jesus was born on Christmas and he went to the cross on Good Friday and he rose from the grave on Easter all because of who God is, the God who loves us. And now I want to turn to our final question, our third question, God with us. Where is God with us? How about a little application? Let's start with some practical ones. God is with us in the playgrounds. God is with us in the classrooms. God is with us in our workplaces. God is with us in our homes. We take great comfort in those things. God is with us in our pains, in our loneliness, in our sufferings. Because God the Son became human, we can be completely confident that, God, that Jesus knows exactly what suffering feels like to us. Again, the weary, weary world can rejoice. But God with us. We can also hear that yet another way. Something like this. Where we are, God sent himself to us. God sent his son to be born in a manger. God sent his son to go to the cross. God sent his son because he knows exactly where we had to be met, where we need to be met today. And followers of Christ are also sent, especially when they follow the one who was sent, they are sent themselves. And wherever it is that followers of Christ are sent, there they are sent to love like Christ and share the testimony of his good news. That's why we celebrate Christmas, the good news, to tell, to celebrate. So often we look at the manger scene and we see the familiar comforts of Christmas and we enjoy them, especially if you're like me. 
But the manger scene isn't just a holiday, isn't just a comfort, isn't just something that occurs once a year. And people all across the world are yearning for meaning and purpose. But the manger scene is a reality that endures in our hearts every day of the year. A reality that God, through the incarnate Son, is constantly doing works all around us so that everyone will know who he is. We are a privileged people to know this, and our response is repentance and faith. The manger scene is Jesus born to identify himself with those who have faith in him. On Christmas Day, the day we are going to celebrate, the day we celebrate today, the Lord came to us in the closest way possible. Emmanuel, God with us, let's rejoice. Father, we praise you. We do give you praise. We thank you, Father, for the incarnation. You, who humbled yourself, delivered your son into a helpless state so that he would be with us completely. We thank you for that kind of a Savior, a Savior who knows us, who loves us, who will never leave us. Lord, help us to have faith in him and help us to carry that as we continue forward. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.